Welcome to Fighting for the Underdog, the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world. As I interviewed these amazing people, I was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere. They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. I appreciate you meeting with me on your birthday. I'm so delighted for hosting me. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So I guess the first question I want to start out with is, what is your organization? Uh, my organization is called Polishka Foundation. Okay. And what, what, does, what does it do? Uh, what it does, it looks out for both humans and non-humans. Uh, with the humans, it's about women, children, and children specifically. Uh, who are who are vulnerable by vulnerable these are women who are really stricken by poverty and then those under those the victims of gbv so the most vulnerable same applies to the kids those under high poverty rates who can't access school and so on and so forth and then with the true with the with the non-humans it's basically about animals um, but then it's more specific about the domesticated animals that people do consume. Because if you look where I'm from, we have organizations that are fighting for the wild animals and so on and so forth. Nothing about the domesticated animals. Well, do you mind? Let me back up for a little bit. Where are you from and where do you operate out of? I'm based in Kampala, Uganda. Uh, that's where we base. That's where I base. Uh, that's where my organization does its work. So I kind of want to unpack what your organization does. So poverty-stricken women and children, but you said specifically children. What is the focus with respect to children? Now, with the children, uh, what we do with the children, uh, it's all about making sure that they achieve, it's all about child education and development, that they achieve the necessary skills regarding education and their development. Uh, we also support them in terms of feeding where is where this is a necessity because we are looking at families, kids from families that find it difficult to attain meals are they just one single meal? Those are the kind of kids we are looking at. Uh, we are looking at the kind of kids who are who are refugees because we have a refugee program as well. We are looking at the kind the kind of kids who have that with whose mother at the same time are part of our program because you look at the, most of the women we look at as single parents the dads the dads the husbands the partners dish them and then they left them with their kids at the same mm. time some of these women are hiv positive we find that it's very hard for them to sustain their families so their kids are also a priority to us because for them to be helped that means we need to support the kids as well so those are the kind of kids we help, and that's how also we do help them. Basically, it's education, and then the day-to-day welfare, feeding, housing, their health, and so on and so forth. And how do women and children, how do they become part of your organization? How do they become supported by it? Like, how do they find you, I guess, is what I'm asking. Uh, actually, we, they don't find us because uh, we find them. Mm. Uh, we we a new we a new organization actually. Uh, we we making two years. We just make it legally. Uh, on paper we're making two years. Uh, so the fact that uh, with my background I've worked with I've worked with with several organizations and profits. So okay. during my time, uh, I, I, it was like kind of a I was kind of a target worker because on my I worked with self the children Uganda. So uh. On working with them, all I wanted, I wanted to know how it's done before I set it up my own. And during this process, I learned various things. That's how I even realized how to find, how to source this kind of people, the level of vulnerability. Because like you find that everyone is vulnerable, but then the level of vulnerability is really, really different. So it's, we find them, like you look at our major focus, uh, the basically in the slums, uh, the urban slums, because now urban slums, like you look at our urban slums, major problems really. They they are uh, a lot of many sex workers. 
Oh. And with the sex workers, in most cases, also, there's a problem of HIV. Um, in slums, there's a lot of congestion. In slums, people have very, very hard life because it's, it's in the urban areas, it's in the city, and life in the city is always hard. And uh, the difference between those people in the slums and those in rural areas is because those in the rurals have places where they can find food because they have enough land. Oh, so at least uh, someone can wake up in the morning I'm like, and it's like, let me go to, to, to the farm, let me go to the garden and get something to eat. But then someone in the, in the urban slum areas, that's way different. It hits really, really bad because, first of all, there's no space for them that can do their own food. Uh, from, there is, from, there's no space. It's just door to door, door to door. You understand? So, and there's a lot of high crime rate. So you look at this nature of vulnerability, the diseases, the nature of jobs they do that can't sustain them. Like they're really, really below the poverty line. You know, you look, you look at the nature of kids that have been, or that are from the slums. These are the kind of street kids, you know, that kids are going to find on the streets, that kids are going to find begging on the streets, that kids are going to find committing crimes on the, mm. on the street. These are the kind of kids we are talking about, the kind of people we are looking at. Mm. And yes, that's how we get to choose because, um, we, we're still young and we have bigger plans of, of course, but then at, at first we have to do what's possible what time allows us to do vis-a-vis -vis funds. So basically, yes, um, we choose them based on the level of vulnerability. And then also one other thing, we are vegan-based foundation. So we have kids who have admitted to be vegan, but then their parents do not support it. Oh. And so we make these kids a priority because uh if we have what to give we're going to make these kids a priority because they are not in the plans of their parents you find like kids are like uh i i, I want to go vegan but then my parents we had this case that's a, that was actually our first case our first campaign school campaign uh we had this girl who walked to us and she was like i want to be vegan but then i can't be because my parents uh get the school fees from from poultry farming. So that means oh. if I tell them if I tell them I'm vegan, they will let my, my siblings go to school and I won't be able to go to school. So you find that this wow. is really a very big problem. So we what we had to do is that we we had to follow up. We had to put up a plan B for this kid. You understand? So mm -hmm. that puts this child, this girl, child in a very specific vulnerability area because that means no one will, we won't be able to achieve our, our goals if we have such hurdles along the way. So we had to follow up, put up something for the parents where they can source their, their money for this specific child. So you find that that child becomes part, part of us and a beneficiary who has been solicited. That is fascinating. So you've said so much there that I want to kind of go back and cover some of the, okay, cover in more detail some of the things that you said. So, okay, so you choose the people that you support and you're trying to expand out of into multiple cities. Is, did I get that right? Yeah. And you're also a vegan organization. We had, we have what we call vegan school campaigns. What we do is that we go to school. Remember uh, now what I should. This organization, it's a vegan based, but then it also has other aspects. And now we have this, what we call the stay in school campaign. This stay in school campaign, what it does, it makes, uh, its major aim is to make the schools more safe than they are for the kids. Because what you see that uh, initially we are in uh, urban areas. For kids in the urban areas, you find that there are kids who, can, who are able to go to school. But then, they are able to go to school because their parents can afford, but then they later drop out of school because of certain issues. Issues okay. such as drug abuse, uh, such as depression, mm. issues such as conflict. So what we do, wow. we talk about uh, anti-drug abuse, we talk about anti-depression, it's about making, it's about teaching life skills, you understand? Yeah. And all mental aspects, drug and bullying, so oh, okay. when when we talk about this, we later because we can't go along with veganism, they never allow us to talk about veganism directly. 
So oh. we use this stay in school campaign as the head. And after we are, do- we, we are done talking about bullying, depression, drug abuse, conflict resolution, and all that, then later on we bring in veganism. That's the last aspect. I see. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because what we do is we usually, we, we always tell kids and all our beneficiaries that we are not forcing them to go vegan, but we are letting them know about compassion and what's there, where, what they eat, where does it come from, who are the real victims here. And then mm. we leave it to them. It's up to them to decide whether to go vegan or not. After we're done, this, this girl child walks up to us and she's like, she wants to go vegan. Mm-hmm. But then the moment she goes vegan, it means that her parents won't allow her to go vegan because they get the money that sends her to school from poultry farming. That means that her siblings will be able to attend school and she won't be able to attend school because she's a vegan. And then her parents will tend to let her be, stay home. That means that we shall never have any success in this because that it means that we need to come up with plans of with such kids, such girls, such boys who are going to be refused to be vegan because their parents source the funds from animal agriculture. Were her parents, I want to make sure I'm understanding this right, were her parents poultry farmers? Yes. And that, oh, I see. So she was rejecting her parents' livelihood by going vegan. Is that? Yes. I yes because, I see. Um, I personally, I personally am from a background of poultry farmers. Like mm-hmm. ever, ever since I was born, like I've been seeing my parents in, doing poultry. I was this person who was so much into poultry, like, you know, but then yeah. on my, on my going vegan, I faced a lot of things like, because they saw me like I was ditching the business. I was doing everything because I uh. was the only person who was into the business. Then my other siblings were doing other different things. I know how it feels like when you go vegan and you're trying to go against what your parents have set up, you know? Yeah. So such things like I, my own, my own experience has put me in a place, in this place it has been more of a benefit because it has taught me many things on how to handle various situations for such people. So that's, that's how we decided. And then that's how that came about of that child. And it's when we actually thought about introducing the child support program, whereby we look for funders to support specific kids. Because we have these kids now, we have a number of kids who are vegan, but then they can't afford school. So that's how we decided to come up with a child support, whereby you come and fund a child through higher education, roughly 36 pounds per month. It's around 50. So, okay, around 50 US dollars per month to support a child. And then, so I see also that you have, so outside of the school system, you also have a separate vegan food program for families is that right yeah everything everything we do we make sure that it's on a vegan based foundation like it's based on veganism because our major aim is to see that people can can really treat them the non-humans with the dignity they deserve thereby not seeing them as property rather like more fellow beings so hmm. we have we have this apparently there's a new project called Project Grow, but Project Grow comes from a project called the Vegan Feeding Program. This feeding program uh, was basically, is basically supposed to help families that can't really, really find it very hard to eat a single meal. Because uh, you look at families, uh, a family of about one mom and then about five kids. Okay. Uh, they stay in a house that is as small as four by four by four by six actually, honestly. Okay. And they really they really can't afford anything. Mm-hmm. Like a house where by even a mattress can't fill can't fill the whole house. It's too big. Those are the kind of families we're talking about. Such oh, families wow. can't find they can't find food. So what we do is that uh, initially we used to, we used to provide these people with meals only if we had the capability because, mm-hmm. uh, 
we really one of the challenges actually that we face is funds and without funds nothing can move without funds like everything is based on what on the funds and this 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 project the vegan feeding program is supposed to provide these families at least two meals a day the very okay. least and it's basically about only veggies they provide them with veggies and maybe food like irish okay um, what happened is that we realized we we couldn't afford these meals like because every day they go up they go higher and higher we are looking at around 50 50 families Oh wow! Uh, which we can't really afford. Like you look, you look on where where the source of fund comes from. Like initially, like I had to do various various number of jobs so that so the money. I, what what happens that I can work for two or three months, and then I get enough money, and that money I can spend it in one or two weeks, and it's completely done. I spend like three months without doing any foundations work, and then I get two weeks when I've had enough money, then to do a, a project of about. A week or two. Oh wow! Um, that's where I would decide that we should have the project grow. Whereby instead of giving these people food anymore, rather we should teach them on how to grow their own food because it's way more sustaining, more sustaining than the usuals. I want to talk about Project Grow, and I also want to talk about your history, too. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like you're kind of a one-man show. Do you have any other volunteers or people who work for you and with you at Podriska? Uh, actually, about that, um, initially, I never had any volunteers. Like It was one-man thing because um, uh, about this uh, this, this foundation came about i had another foundation i was having with my three other colleagues and we had i had a different vision from what they had so i decided to part ways and start something my own last year before the covid before covid came in i had my first my first tour when i was i was heading the refugee center and i had only one person a friend of mine and i requested him to come and help me with the pictures and so on so it's after I had, after I got that, that tour, when I was traveling through the camps in various schools, I managed to get volunteers who had become vegan. So that's when I had about like eight people. But then the problem is that those people are only stationed in the camp. They can't come within the city. I'm sorry. Why are they not allowed to come into the city? Because first of all, foremost, uh, they, it's expensive for them, like to come within the city. Oh. Uh, for the accommodation and so on and so forth. And then also because it's volunt they're not being paid and they can't leave their jobs, it's really very hard for them to leave their jobs and come this side. Unless it's a day a day thingy, mm. a day event, a one day event. So on basically on the ground, in most cases I do things I do things alone or in case it's too much, like now like for the project grow, it's the community itself. I ask the community itself to step up because this work is to benefit them. So within themselves they have to get volunteers who are going to help the project. Internationally, internationally I have I have people, I have volunteers who assist me like I have people I talk to in case I, I need a project. I have people I, I need a project to implement. Like in case I have a document I want to set up, I have people I can talk to. Like about I have a, about three people. I have a professor is from uh the University of LA, Avindi. I he usually takes me through certain things and he guides me on what to do. I have another volunteer from Italy, she's called Nithya. She she usually helps me with the documenting and how try to do this, try to do this. Then I have another one from the US, it's called Daniel. Specifically, he helps with the whole project, like the lady project for the women on how to set it up. Because uh, this year we are planning a fashion a fashion show. Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> so far, he's, he's planning this whole thing up because the lady project equips women with mat with skills to do handcraft materials. Uh, like, are you seeing this book? So this is a, this book has a book cover. Oh, very nice. So they make these book covers, you understand? Yeah. So like, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So they do such things. Now, like this, this is a book cover. 
Now, yeah, those are the kind of people like the the people I have. I also have Lisa who also is trying to do this whole ship thing. So there we are. It's a, a very small, small team. Mm-hmm. But then on ground, on ground, really, that's where most of the hard work is because planning is always easy. To plan with various people, come up with ideas, that's always easy. The hardest sure. part is always implementation. What should be done? How should it be done? And the fact that I have, I don't have many volunteers, you know, that becomes really a problem. Yeah. No, absolutely. That sounds, I mean, what you're doing is amazing and how much work you do to know you do almost all of it by yourself is remarkable. And it sounds like a lot of the money that funds Podraska is coming from you and the work you, you do during your day job. Is that right? Yeah, actually. Now, what happened is that, uh, when I met, uh, that professor, uh, what he did, he decided to try to cover some of the expenses, my personal expenses I do, so that I could give more time to the foundation. So what he does, he contributes to me a certain amount of money that helps me to, to reduce the number of jobs I do for my mm. personal and focus more on the foundation. So that, that really lifts something. It really supports and pushes me because that gives me a lot of time to focus more on the foundation that my, that my, myself and my personal work as I wait for, for, for your funds. Because now, like, your, uh, to say this, your farm, I think, has done the biggest donation. Honestly. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> because now, if you look at, if you look at the funds that come in, people, we actually have, like, like one person who funds on a monthly basis and they're about, they're about, like, 25, 20, actually. 14, no, sorry, they're 14 pounds every, mm-hmm. every month. So we don't really usually have those constant donations. Maybe someone, someone can do maybe once, maybe once in a year or twice, then they donate like a hundred pounds, a hundred dollars, you know, but then we never have constant amount of donations that we assure of that they're coming to implement this kind of, kind of work. Unless when we set up like a, a a fundraiser and so far we have only done two fundraisers one was a bit successful it was for the emergency feeding program during the covid uh it literally raised half of the money because we were looking at around three thousand us dollars and we got around one thousand five hundred thousand seven hundred and then another one was about uh, the project grow okay. which was about two thousand nine hundred two thousand nine hundred pounds and and we only got we only raised seven hundred Pounds. Oh. So you like really you see that there's a very huge gap, and I personally am I'm an introvert, and I find coming out of people like as for the nations, I really find it hard. Sure. So I really get I focus my that kind of energy into something else because I think people people really trust you more and believe in you more when they see the nature of what you're doing. It's like to support something that's maybe already taking place rather than something that's new, that's just about to start. And that keeps me pushing, like, let me st- let me just keep on working. Let me just keep on working. Maybe one time something will happen. You understand? As long as you know what you're doing is right, you're on the right course, you're supporting the right things, maybe eventually. No, that's, that's amazing and so admirable. I'm just in awe over what you do and how hard you work especially to help so many others, human and non-human. Let's go back to the animals, the support you do for the animals too. You said specifically you're focusing on domesticated animals. Is that correct? Yeah. As, as the foundation, of course, we, we're there for the old non-humans. But the reason why I say specifically my, my personal focus is on the domesticated animals is because these are the animals that are really, really more abused. And these are mm. the animals as vegans we majorly stand for the animals that are seen as i'm from a society because when you're fighting for these animals everywhere stands in their specific culture and society where they are from you know and here like 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 here dogs are dogs are really loved you understand like most of the countries but then like if you go in asia it's the opposite they are loved but then in the right manner it's like when you ask me when the question that says like have you been an animal lover from the beginning, mm-hmm. 
I would say yes, I've been, but not in the right manner. You understand? Mm-hmm. Because I can't, I can't love something that I I will kill the next day. It makes no sense. Ish. So why it's, why the animals? It's because why the domesticated animals? It's because yeah, uh, you look at like the rest of the world where animals, the the hens, that the hens, the the goats, the, the cows, sheep, and so on. They're they're seen as animals. They're seen they're seen as food. And these are the same things fight against. And how how do we how do we fight for this for these non humans? We have we have programs based on based on on age. That's how we try to do it based on age. Because you look at different age groups, bringing information differently. Uh, it's very hard to have a fellow youth. And you start telling them about vegan or about a given topic without bringing up an argument. You understand? Youths, we always have, we need, we always have to first argue, first bring out facts. And, you know, and that means yeah. that means we are supposed to have a specific program or project for the youths to, which we can use to bring out vegans in. Now, you look at basically between the age of four to 18, this is a, this is a school going age group. Okay. And how do we make sure that such kids have the right information about veganism? We do that through our vegan vegan school campaigns. As we tell kids to, to keep in school, as we, as we tell kids to, as we make schools more safe, we make sure that we give them the, the knowledge of compassion. You know, we teach them, we show, we, we show them what really happens, where, where they meet, they eat from, the eat comes from, such things. And now, for the youths, basically, like university, university kids, and so on and so forth, uh, what we hadn't yet started, but we were planning to start doing debates at universities and dialogues on veganism. But then, due to the pandemic, that's something we can we can put on hold until further. We also have what we call we also have community dialogues. Community dialogues are basically for everyone in the community. This, with this, we talk about, we let people discuss about veganism. It's also something new that's going to, that's going to open up as soon as we get enough. We are safe enough from the pandemic because sure. what, so the vegan, the vegan community dialogues are all about bringing our communities together and give them the information about, about veganism, about compassion. And then later on, uh, we can have food sampling because uh, people we look at here with the world where where I'm from, we don't have substitutes for everything. Mm. Like from the Western world, you look at you have you have the substitutes for meat, you have substitutes for chicken, you have substitutes for everything. Uh, and here we can have them. Yes, we we can make them, and that's my my goal. I want to show them that if you don't take milk from an animal you can take milk from rice you can make milk from soya you can make milk, you understand and this mm-hmm. and like this comes about after our vegan school campaigns whereby we used to only talk what they can substitute for things but then we never had what you never had the 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 substance in hands to show them and this is something we are trying to work on when we get the funds we need to show them how to make these various things by themselves. This is something we are trying to plan on. We are trying to develop it the best way and get the right where to get the right funds for such activities. So it's the same things with with the other communities. Then another thing is that the vegan feeding program itself, because it's also one way we use to we use to spread veganism. However much we give food to the vulnerable, before we give them the food, we also give them the information about veganism. We, we, we let them know why the food we're giving them has no meat. Mm. Because many people, they have normalized that for one to celebrate, for one to have something, they have, there must be meat, there must be chicken. If you give someone food and, and there's no meat, they're like, why? You understand? So oh. we need to tell them why we, why them food we're donating to them has no meat. So that's also one way. So basically, yes. And also the Lady Project itself, it's also a way we use to communicate veganism to our beneficiaries because 
all the products they used to make, they're cruelty free, nothing like leather, nothing like silk, nothing like suede, because we know where it comes from. So we try to use materials that are cruelty free and we give them reasons why they use materials that are cruelty free. What is our vision? What do we want to achieve? So, so that for anyone who's coming to the program needs to know that this and this, however much, we can't stop someone because they're not vegan and we can't stop them from getting enrolled. Enrolled, but then you need to have the do's and don'ts when you're in the premises. You're not supposed to put on this when you're in the premises. You're not supposed to eat this in the premises. Because with that, we because this is something new we are trying to build and we need to make the rules and the foundations of farm for everyone to understand. So we have we have the vegan school campaign. We do activism on online. Also, we together we we do cubes with anonymous for the voiceless. Also, that's one thing we also use. Uh, so yes, vegan feeding program, the cubes, the lady project, the stay in school program, community dialogues and debates. Basically, that's it about veganism and how we handle it. So, yeah, so I want to talk to you about project grow as well, but now I've just heard about cubes can you tell can you say that again tell me a little bit more about what that's about as well uh you know you know you know about the anonymous for the voiceless um i'm not sure is this a program that you're yeah. running no it's it's a it's an organization based in i think it originates from australia but it's okay. kind of like people put on masks and then they stand in cubes holding machines you understand those people so they hold machines or laptops or TVs, and then these screens portray what happens in the in the what's that called in the slaughterhouses. Oh yeah. So yeah, um, I think actually that's that's the whole thing that brought me to see. Maybe I should say, uh, my first cube when I joined the foundation and I had the first cube. I think it went so viral, like that's when I was noticed having the very first cube from Africa, blah, blah, and so on and so forth. So oh, I, wow. I came to the scene and that's how I got that kind of recognition, the little recognition I have. So, yeah, and that's something, that's something that's really efficient because it creates, it creates the curiosity of the mass, the mass creates the curiosity among the people. What are these people trying to show? What are they trying to prove? And then they want to come and, and look at what you're really doing. What are you trying to show the people? What, what message are you trying to portray? In that case, you end up talking to a various number of people about veganism. So that's also something we try to do. Okay. Okay. So your organization is also doing these cubes. Are you partnering with the organization from Australia or is this independent? Yeah, but this is independent. So, okay. So I know you've talked a little... A little bit and a lot about Project Grow. This was launched in October of 2020. Is that right? Yeah, actually, that was supposed to be the plan. Uh, remember, okay, like, we we had uh, the project was supposed to had a a, a budget of roughly two thousand nine hundred dollars. Sorry, two thousand nine hundred pounds, UB pounds. But then we failed to raise the money. We couldn't. We couldn't really. We couldn't really launch the money. Sorry, the project with that amount of money at that time. So we decided to give it a time until December. And then December came and we hadn't even raised any more extra penny. So what happened is that we decided to cut short of the whole project. The project is titled Project Grow. Mm -hmm. uh, and it has, it has three aspects. There is teaching our beneficiaries on how to grow their own food. There is teaching them on how to recycle garbage to make it into the fertile kind of stuff. And then oh. there is also mushroom growing, whereby they can use the mushroom, they can grow mushrooms and let us sell, sell them on. The whole point is to create sustainability and feeding among them as at the same time we spread veganism. Now, because we failed to raise the money, it meant that we had only, we had to choose the priority. We had to prioritize on what to choose to go ahead with, with that little amount of money we had raised. So we launched the, the projects uh, two days to Christmas, 23rd. Mm -hmm. 
and we only learned, we only began with only one part only that's growing veggies alone so while people were trained we have a video soon coming up uh, on how everything went people were trained on right from the beginning on how to to make fertile soils because remember we're talking about people from a slum area yeah what they have it's only it's only clay soil and sand soil because slums are always waterlogged there's too much water so their soils are never fertile to support to support plant growth so they had to teach them on how to make that soil fertile and it could support plant life uh, they had to show them because uh, these people live in very very small congested areas they had to show them on how to use that small space they have to grow their own food we had to teach them also about compassion why are we bringing project to grow why are we not why are we not telling them to rear animals why are we not buying them hens to rear for subsistence why are we focusing majorly on plant growth this is the kind of information they need to know well, I was going to ask you, so what are the reasons that you give them for why you're they, you're encouraging them to grow veggies rather than raise animals for slaughter? We have a saying that uh, it means that uh, the eyes of a Ugandan, of Uganda, Ugandan person, the eyes are always in their hands. What it means is that they have to first touch to know that this is real. So usually uh, I... I give them because I uh, look at these people majorly what they do is that they they their life is based on subsistence farming they always have these hens that are, are on a free range system we, I, this is an example I usually give whenever a hen has has its own chicks it has laid so there was a hen good enough that was moving and I asked one person to pick one chick and this person was like I cannot and I was like why this person say it's because this hen is protecting the, the baby. It's why I can't I can't bother with its baby. I was like, okay, now what would you do the same thing if this if someone walked and took away your baby? What I do is that I try to bring this in a way that they really understand and a way that's not going to spark any arguments. Because um another thing, you know. All these things are interlinked because now this is a question about vegans, and then I may end up also going to back to the lady project. Okay. Why? Now, because this is what what happens is that I can't, we can't just walk into to these people who live their lives on animals and tell them to go vegan just like that without giving them a solution. You understand? Sure. The same thing that that I talked about this this girl child for her to go vegan, it means we had to go a step further to provide her with tuition. To tell these women to go vegan, to give them the knowledge, you have to give them on how they're going to sustain their, their lives of the animals. You understand? Still about that child sponsorship, it's like we ask for some parents who have their livestock in the future, the program, because we plan on having animal sanctuary. So what happened is that for parents who have animals, we are we, we likely to ask them to give in their animals to the sanctuary and be able to help their kids so that we can guarantee that the animals are safe and the kids at the same time are going to school. And then, because there are many cases, one of the hard I'm finding as a person is that many people are coming up and they're saying they're vegans. And a day or two, you find them, they're really known. They are, it's what it, it, it was a scam. I have many international friends like who, are, who always recommend me to help this certain person. This person is a vegan, help them out. Try to try to solicit funds for them. But then, honestly, they are scammers. They are living off the mm. internet. And in the end, it affects me in my reputation and the kind of work I do. The information, really, I tell, I tell these people is that I give them their life examples of how animals suffer, of how a, a hen reacts when you take away its cheek. Mm. And uh, at times, what happens is that even I go further and show them these videos, what happens in the slaughterhouses, because people really, at times, we, we really need to finger point for someone to understand. You really need to face the reality until this is happening every time you do this. It's many, many of them, many of them see it as reasonable, but then still, uh, veganism here in Africa, honestly, it's seen as a joke. Oh, yes. uh, people, people who are, you find that people who are vegetarian are only that because of their doctor's orders. And oh. 
Also, this is something that I use. An example, I, I always ask these women, these kids, I always ask them, how many of you here have diabetes? And if I ask them that, I'm always like, how many of you here have been told to stop eating meat by their doctors? How many mm -hmm. of you have been told to stop consuming milk by your doctors? And you find like, if there are 10 women, around seven are raising up their hands. And I'm like, do you know why? It's because the meat you're consuming is causing this. So why do you wait up to that time when you're told by your doctor, yet you can stop that now? You understand? So uh, usually yeah. they understand more of the veganism aspect if you bring it in the health perspective. If you show them that the meat, the milk they consume on a daily basis is damaging their lives on a day-to-day. But in most cases, if you bring it in the aspect of ethics for the lives of the animals, it will, seem, it will be seen as a job. Because I personally, uh, back then, if I didn't know that animals had rights, honestly, I never knew. Uh, mm. I, when I went vegetarian, I thought I was at the, I was at the climax of it all. I didn't know that there is, after vegetarian, they just going vegan. You understand? Mm. And this, these are things that I taught myself. These are things that I searched about after I was told by my siblings that, because I told them I'm a vegan, but then they were like, vegans don't consume milk. I was like, what? So I had to go and, and research about that. Many people are like me, are like the me, how I used to be. And they don't have this information. People will really listen to the veganism aspect when you bring it in the aspect of like of their own health. And then the animals, and then the least they'll never understand here that I've felt is every time when you bring it in the aspect of the environment, how animal agriculture is damaging the environment. That's something people here don't care about because they have more pressing problems than the environment you're telling them. They find feeding really hard. They find living very hard so there is no way they can start listening rather they'll will, they'll will listen to you when you talk tell them that if you stop consuming meat your health is going to be better and that comes if you give them on what to consume oh you know many will listen that's the truth many will laugh about it uh. and many will just walk away so I think this is like the case everywhere. Some will listen, some will joke about it. I, I'm interested here. I know you and I have talked uh, about your journey to veganism. Would you mind going into that here and just telling telling our listeners about what your your journey to veganism was like? I, I um the fact that I'm from a background of poultry farmers. I I think I'm I'm really never good with dates. Like personally, I'm so bad when it comes to dates. But I think I'm sure it was 2018. That I'm so sure it was, it was late 2018 when I went vegan. But then before that, when I was vegetarian, like I said, I went vegetarian. I don't know when. I used to do slaughters for the poultry. I used to be involved right from the breeding, the bleeding then straight to, to the cells. Like I used to, because I was the mere person who was into it among the kids within my parents. So what happens that everything changed in a way that I didn't know. It was a gradual process. At first I was like, I don't want to get involved in the slaughters. I just started hating blood. Mm. And then when it came when it always came to eating, I was like, no, I don't want chicken. It's okay. I can have the soup. You know? So and then I was so what happens that they could slaughter and then they could give me the hands to, to remove the feathers and so on. From nowhere the scent, you know the scent when you're when you're plucking, I I it it could really drive me nuts. And I was like, okay. No, let me just, you know what, you guys can do the rest. Me, I only handle the cells and so on and so forth. Mm. That period, my mom went sick. And then a few, before I, I, before I really turned vegan, I, that's when I lost my mom. Mm. Uh, so what happened is that, um, I'm the only person who's left in the business that my dad can rely on. And this is the time I'm realizing that what I'm doing is not something I would love to do. It's really against what I want. And then uh, I decide, like, you know what? Now I'm vegetarian. But then I'm saying I'm, uh, I said I'm vegan, yet in real sense, I was vegetarian because I used to love the, the eggs and, and the milk and all. Later on, my sister tells me vegans don't consume milk, they don't consume eggs. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I leave, I leave it like that. I, I make research. But then what really sparked off is that one time I was home and I was doing my things. And then a friend, and then we were watching this thing where they were cutting off people, people's heads, like the Taliban's doing that thing. And mm. then I was like, okay, I know you're all going to die, but I never want to die like that. So my friend is like, but that 
that's the way you kill the birds. What's the difference? Why do you do those things? You know? Yeah. So that really, he, he said it jokingly because he wasn't into veganism. He didn't know anything about veganism, but he was like, yo, you don't want, you don't want to die like that, but that's the way you kill these animals. So just get ready. I was like, so that's, that really went deep. And then that's when also my sister came in a later time and she told me about how veganism don't consume milk and so on. Later on, yes. Uh, I, I don't know the date, but then, but then all I know is that it was really a gradual, a gradual theme. But then the moment I knew that, the moment I, but am I going vegan? It was a one day thing. I just woke up in the morning. I was like, from today onwards, I'm cutting no more after I go to know. But then for vegetarian, it was a process. For vegan, it was the moment I, I knew what was going on. That's the moment I cut myself off. So on my becoming an activist, I was like, I need, I don't know. I was on just Facebook and then I saw this anonymous for the voiceless. I, what I, what happened is that I'm like, I, I sit on my phone. I start to look at organizations in Uganda that are vegan based. And there was nothing. I couldn't find anyone. No, no activist, no single person, no what, no what. So I was like, what am I supposed to do? And mm. I'm this introvert person. So that means that gave me hard time to approach people to talk to in terms of, I need your help. I want to do this. So remember to have these cubes, I, I signed up with Anonymous to start the cubes because it was my first activism activity that I did. So when I joined, I get this friend of mine who was vegetarian. I didn't know he was vegetarian, but he was vegetarian right from the birth, their whole family. And I, I tell him, I want us to do this and this. I want us to have a cube and we start all about veganism and all about, and he welcomed the idea. Uh, we had, we go to this small and we want to have our first cube. And we were chased away, like, what it does. And we, we saw, you know, I didn't know the language. My, the good thing, my friend knew the language. That's guys were talking. So he was like, we need to run, like, right now. These guys are coming for us. And oh so that goodness. was our, our first, you know, activity, which came to fail. Because it was, it was in the biggest mall in the city. And so they say that we are bad for business. So they wanted oh. to arrest because we're bad for business. Now, we, that's when I realized that I can't have these cubes in, in the city, in the urban, for now, until I have the right, the right tools and the right people. So I tell you to do my activism at a low, at the grassroots in, in the, in the slum, in the, besides the city where people can listen, people can, you know. And then in most cases, you find that it's one, sometimes it's one solution that, that's, uh, that solves everything. Because you look at compassion and the refugee program, like if people believe that we can't hurt the non-humans, there's no way they're going to hurt a fellow human. Mm. That's love. That's love's being built. If you look at very many things, you look, because we talk about SDGs, there's, if you look at SDGs, life above land, you know, to treat, treating the plants, treating the animals, like it's all about vegetarian, veg, veganism, sorry. Now, so that's when I get to merge the two. I realize that I can use veganism and I can use this whole humanitarian work to make this whole thing work. And it's, it's been smooth despite vis-a-vis -vis other problems. But then it's one of the things I've realized that you can really really work out. Jeez. So I want to back up too. I, I'm sorry I keep backing up, but um, I want to go back to the beginning too. And um, I love the story of, of how you chose the name uh, Porterska, if you wouldn't mind. And please correct me if I'm saying it wrong. I'm, I, know, I know you told me it's Polish, uh, so I, I'm not very good with Polish. But <laughs> yeah, if you could tell me the story yeah, I behind feel, it. I, I I actually, I also have problems pronouncing the name because <laughs> when I chose the name, I had to go to Google Translate to write, to find the, 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 the real pronunciation. And up to now, I don't know whether it's the right one even, but, um, uh, when, remember, like before all this comes up, that's when the World Cup was going, that was before the World Cup. So World Cup cup comes up and I'm a fan of football. So. I choose Croatia. The name is Podoshka. It comes from, it's a Croatian term. That means support. 
So mm. why why did I choose Croatia? Croatia was the underdog. If you look at the team, like no one expected it to go as far as as it went. But then surprisingly, it never won. Yeah, but then it went to the final, and many people were inspired by what it did. I myself inclusive. So I was like, okay, now let me choose what word. Like I chose Podushka, and I wanted that the 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 term T H E. I wanted that to be there. So I was like. I had various ideas, but then I was like, okay, let me use support. I looked what does support mean in the Christian, Christian language. So I, mm. I upon it and it was Podushka. I was like, okay, this can work out. I looked, so I was like, let me just go with Podushka. So that's how I came, I came with the name Podushka because of Croatia. I was inspired by the Croatian football team. That's great. I love that. What was the moment that inspired you to start Podushka? My dad, vis-a-vis being a farmer, like he has been a humanitarian ever since he has been working with this organization. So I used, I used to, he used to take me whenever he was working and I could see these kind of people. And I basically, we are uh, from a middle-class family. We, 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 we struggled in coming up, but then my parents did their best to send me in good, in good schools. And going in good schools, this means I was, I was this kid from a poor background with rich kids. In, and when you're in such a situation, you get two people. You get the one who bullies you, you get the one who supports you. Mm. And that person who really comes up when you're being bullied, I don't know, there's only you look at that person, like that, that happiness, you get when someone stands up for you. So, I finished my school and I, I, I want to do something, you know? And one thing I was like, whatever comes up, I don't want to be employed. Like, I want to do something of my own. I want mm. to believe them too. So I, I joined with my friends and they're like, they want to start up a foundation that helps kids specifically. And, and as we go on, like, their, their vision to mine was not really what I wanted. Because they were community, they were a community-based organization by then, and me, they wanted something that would really work, that would change like globally with various various aspects of projects. And then they were more much looking into kids alone and only home-based care, like an, an orphanage setting. So it was more of an orphanage setting, and yet I wanted more of uh, various projects to help people in various ways because different problems can't be solved by one single. Every time you bring up a solution, there is that bureaucracy tendency that someone needs it needs to go somewhere and then someone approves it. And by the time it comes back to the ground, it can never it can no longer be helpful because as mm. a person, whether it's not inspired you to bring up that solution, it can never be helpful to that particular person. Why humanitarian? It's because I've been there, I've been helped. I know how it feels like when someone stands up for you. The satisfaction you get for doing something good for someone is the reason why I keep doing this. Mm. The happiness, the face someone shows when they have hope is the reason why I do this. Because hope is the best thing, honestly. You can never get money. Money is nothing. Money is nothing. Because you can have money, but then you lose hope. But mm. this kind of work we do gives people hope that there's better. There's a better tomorrow. And that's why I keep, that's why all this is all about this. Yeah. That's beautiful, Dash. That is, that's incredible. I, you just have such an amazing heart. I'm so, I'm speechless. <laughs> You're making me cry. The older I get, the more I cry, oh. I swear. Um, <laughs> what is one thing you wish you had known when you started this process um, and started your organization? The time it took me to know about all this compassion and all that. Because when you really understand what compassion is all about, you honestly see life differently. It's, mm. it's never the same way, the way you perceive life, the way you perceive things, and the way you do the things you do. And you realize that one, that once you use, maybe once you go through compassion to give the message you want to give, people are going to easily understand. People are going to easily attach meaning and values to what you know and so i think that's something that i wish i knew 
way way earlier before all of this because probably I would have done this sooner and mm. maybe I would have been way, way, way beyond than where I am right now. That is an amazing answer. I don't think I've ever met anyone who said they wish they had become compassionate sooner in their life. That's, <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. What is one common misunderstanding about your foundation that you run into? People, people get to think that I'm all about animals, the animals that are not seen about food. Okay, this foundation, this is political foundation and it's about supporting women, children, and animals. The first thing that comes to mind is that we want hands, we want goods. They get oh. to think that maybe this foundation is there to support animal agriculture. Well, why would you be, why would you be talking, why would you be supporting animals if you're not giving us animals? Because this is new to them. They, they, they have no idea that animals have rights. And then after you're like, okay, now what I'm trying to mean is that I'm against the fact that you eat animals. And they're like, what? And then those, <laughs> what? even serious, even animals have rights. That's the major thing that people really, but then they later come and understand. What's your biggest obstacle to finding volunteers that you run into? I would say funds because to get volunteers, there needs to be projects for the volunteers mm. to vote and participate in. And for these projects to stand, they have to be funded, which is, yeah. And because also another thing, like you look at all the projects that, even those projects that are within, within that don't need maybe accommodation, don't need to travel. It all goes back to, to the funds because now, like, if you look at, Maybe for the benefits of international volunteers, in case there are those who want to come, they usually come when they already know what they're going to, what they're going to do. And in most cases, they come with money to do what they want to do. But then that, that means that, that means, that doesn't mean that they're always there. But that doesn't mean that the organization has stopped. There are supposed to be more projects to move on that are supposed to inspire various people to come in. And these projects require volunteers and this require, and this requires funds to run this project. So it all gets back to the grassroots that there must be a certain level of money in funds to make everything possible. So basically, that, that will be the biggest. And maybe, yeah, like I said, like allocations for, for offices, maybe. Uh, that's also something because they're like, oh, you may, there are people who may want to turn up and they really want to do things with you, but then they're like, we need to plan, we need to do this. And then you find that you need to go to a restaurant, you need to buy for them food, you know? You know? So, yeah, so basically it all comes back down to everything, which is money. So with the pandemic, what's been the biggest challenge you've encountered in, in dealing with the pandemic? I think I would answer that the same thing with a previous, with a previous man, with a previous question, which is funds. Why? Mm. Um, uh, we have reached at a point whereby I had my volunteers from the refugee camp where they called me in and they, they were, they really had individuals who are really, really stricken and they were badly off. And we lost, they lost even a child because there was wow. no Our parents, parents flee back to Sudan, South Sudan, and they left the kids inside. And by the time we realized it was late, we couldn't do even anything. Oh. And because there was no money, there was nothing. However much in a day you do a thousand things in a month, yeah, you do a thousand beautiful things. And then there's always this one thing that's going to come up and hit you really, really mm. bad. And it makes the rest of work you've done useless. And you see that, you know, what I'm doing, I'm really hurting myself because this kind of work we do, we attach, as at times it goes way personal with the people you work with find yourself that this you're trying to support this kid and there's nothing this this kid is at a point that no one can help you know and what hits most is that everyone has their hope in you and you the person they have the hope in you don't you, you don't even know where to place your hope mm. you understand so honestly we have lost a lot in the pandemic there's there are very, very many scenarios whereby we want them to be forgotten. You understand? Because you knew there's nothing you could have done unless there was something. 
still takes me back to that. That's horrible. I'm so sorry to hear that. What is one thing that Podrska did for one of your beneficiaries that you didn't expect to happen? It's I think it's all about this. The same thing takes me back to what we do. Like what I do, like with our food. I was giving out food, like when especially when I'm because I find it hard to talk to people personally. Mm. So like during these food distributions, I never when I give out to my friends, and then I'm like, okay, you take to this home, you take to this home, and I always want to be anonymous. Like especially where I come from, I don't want people to know that I'm the one because. Every time people know that you help them, they treat you in a, a way that's not, you know, like, mm. which I, I, I hate spotlights. Okay, maybe I should say that. So what happened is that uh, I was doing something usual. Like I gave out, I told my friend, you know what, this time you go, you, I don't know anyone from here, but you know them. So I I gave them, I gave him about 16 parcels of food to, to donate. And, you know, so this one time, I'm walking and this person calls me and she started crying. I was like, what? Well, she was so thankful for, for what I did. And I just kept on saying, okay, that wasn't me. Okay, that wasn't me. That's, that's him. You should talk to him. You understand? But then that, the, the satisfaction that I saw, the happiness I saw in this lady and she was a teenage mother. So, you know, you find out like that you do a lot of the kind of work we do. It's really good, but then we normal and it comes a point when you normalize it, like you find it it's normal in front of your eyes. But then you forget how important it is to the person you you're helping. Mm. You know, all you're saying is that, okay, there are 15 families I want to reach out to. Then give you should give them the, what they need, and that's all for you. But then you forget we do we don't usually look into the the shoes of the person you're giving. And they're always so, you know, how they come up and how they're cheerful about your turn. And you're like, okay, now this is really what I do. This is amazing. Okay. And sometimes, I don't know, I, I believe we don't need to show people. In most cases, I don't like showing what, how happy someone is for receiving something because at the other end, I'm like, your people see it as you're exposing, you're trying to, it's not good enough. Like if I hooked up and I gave this woman maybe a wheelchair and she's so delighted, she's all jumping. Yes, it's nice, but then it's really sweet if no one gets to know. What is the most important lesson you've learned in your life? If you could pick one thing, um, what's probably the most important lesson you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, the same thing, compassion, probably. Mm. Compassion. Like, really get to know compassion and live with it. People always think that you need, you need to stand up and speak. You need to go somewhere and talk. The thing is, once you know compassion, you don't need to talk to a thousand people. As long as you live, understand, you understand and live by it. Uh, things, things become really nice and, it's the same thing that will push you to do what you don't have to do. What is the best way for our listeners to support you? We have we have a PayPal account, uh, and it's okay. on our website. Our website is podeshkafoundation.org. Um, and we have various projects. We have very many projects. Um, so uh, we have like I said, we have projects for the children, which is education, welfare, and feeding. We have project for the women, that is the lady project that equips women with skills. And you look at all these projects, they have a given, maybe let's say a donor box, where on the website, so someone may be really interested in promoting the women alone. Someone may be interested in activism. Someone may be interested, interested in project growth. So there is always that specific donor box at the website that someone can go to and then donate. Oh, there are those people who are like, okay, me, I want to, to donate to the organization as whole. And it's up to us to know which money should go where and how. And that's, we have a paper locker on to that. And all this, you can find what we do, the details, how to help on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, majorly, and then our website. 
I know I've taken up a lot of your time on your birthday and I really appreciate it. I guess the last question I want to ask you, is there anything you would like our listeners to know that I haven't thought to ask you? Nope. I think that's all. I think you're covered. This you. Okay. <laughs> okay. I just want to well, appreciate it actually for their, for their moral support and courageous what they always say to me. You know, uh, one time I was, cause we have this, I'm into this program. It's called AAM, Animal Activism Mentorship. And we, what it does, it, it makes, it mentors young activists, activists, it's based in the US. Uh, what they do is that for people who want to be active, they can sign up freely and then they are mentored into mentors, animal liberation activists. So one time I told one of my friends, he was, he's called Mike, he's a mentor. And I was like, Okay, this work at times it you know you do what I do what I do, but then I never get any feedback, you know, like people never turn up like I can go and I talk, but then no one ever says anything. He told me one thing that what I do it may not be really cause an impact on the local ground, but it's a, a great deal for the people abroad, people who see who see me and the kind of work I do. So that alone really gave me hope. I was like, okay. So you realize that people, what people keep saying, the message they keep sending that are really courageous. They are really, they really do much, you know? Uh, it, however much you feel, I, I, I may not get the funds, but then I still have the urge. I still have the, the, the courage to keep moving because, you know, I have people who are behind me, people like you yourself who keep me believing me in what I do, you hosting me here, like you really give me a meaning and I'm like, okay, I need to keep doing what I do. So thank you so much, very much. No, thank you. I <laughs> I should be thanking you. No, I am so happy to support you and what you do. I mean, I, I really am just blown away by what you do and how hard you work and just the thanks really goes all to you. This has been amazing, Dash. I really, really appreciate your time, and especially on your birthday. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much, and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit my website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. All profits from merchandise sold on my website go to support the guests on my show. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. It really does help. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, my fellow underdogs. (music) 